Hello, it's Monique. And Landon. Again, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the cases that come up in our emergency department, which is always kind of the reasons uh, for some of these podcasts starting. And in the last couple of years, we have I have certainly seen a couple of patients with very different histories, but very similar presentations. Last year, I had a patient who was a 32-year-old male who had been lifting weights and uh, developed quite a severe headache. He was seen at another emergency department, had a CT scan, which was negative, and was treated with some fluid and some Maxran with some improvement. And he came to us because of a persistent headache, which was worse upon standing and greatly improved when he lay down. This past week, I saw a woman who was 48 years old, had just entered menopause, and in August developed a severe headache. She was seen at a walk-in clinic and told that it was likely a migraine, as it was associated with photophobia and nausea. And she was treated with a, with a tryptin, and it seemed to get a little bit better. She came into our emergency department as her headache had returned, and the medication wasn't working. She related a history where the pain was worse upon standing and radiating to her head and improved somewhat when she was lying down. Both of the patients had normal vital signs, a normal neuro exam, and a normal CT scan. They were both referred to neurology who diagnosed them with something called a low-pressure headache or intracranial hypotension. And the most common cause of these headaches is a CSF leak. He has, oh, excuse me. I don't know what that was. <laughs> a CSF leak. <laughs> you got really excited. I know, I got so excited. It sounded like a hiss. A CSF leak can happen after medical procedures, such as like a lumbar puncture from uh, or a spinal tap. Maybe you thought you were about to get a lumbar puncture. I know, puncture. maybe I did. I kind of squeaked. And epidural injections or spinal surgery. These are likely the patients that we see and the diagnosis is easily made, though we may not have referred to them as intracranial hypotension. We usually would say, oh, it's a post-procedure. Sometimes though, this type of headache occurs spontaneously, which is kind of odd, making the diagnosis more difficult. In most cases, a weakened dura is suspected or observed. In two-thirds of the cases, patients report no history of a triggering event such as lifting, straining, stretching, sporting activities, roller coaster rides and falls, and genetic disorders of the connective tissues such as Marfan syndromes, Ehlers Danlos syndrome, and polycystic kidney disease are more common in these patients as well. These disorders make it more likely that the patient's dura will be weaker or thinner than normal. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. What is Ehlers Danlos? I knew you were going to ask me that. It is a neurological. It's actually a connective tissue disorder. Um, That's basically what it is. I totally asked her that because I thought she wouldn't know. I know, and I knew that. And you knew. Yeah, whatever. I'm the one who looks bad. (laughs) It just is a connective tissue disorder, really. So, in looking... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so in looking at the pathophysiology of these headaches, loss of the fluid that cushions and protects the brain may lead to intracranial hypotension, intense headaches. As we said earlier, the most common cause of intracranial hyper- hypotension or low CSF pressure in the brain is a CSF leak. And what CSF does is it cushions the brain and protects the brain and spinal cord. And it it has a, the sac around it called the meninges and it kind of, the brain almost floats on this bag of fluid when you're standing upright and so if you have a leak which is a hole or tear in the dura somewhere which causes the fluid to leak out the brain kind of sags down in this in this pillow and and it causes a headache Mm -hmm. 
And it, obviously gravity being what it is, it'll be worse in an upright position because when you're laying down, the brain doesn't really feel that pulling down into the base of the skull. Yeah. So this is why the main symptom of intracranial hypotension is a headache that gets worse when upright and better mm -hmm. when laying down. It is also known as a positional headache. They usually start within 15 minutes of sitting or standing up, and they get better after about 15 or 30 minutes of laying down. Sometimes the headaches, again, we're humans, sometimes yeah. the headaches will take hours to worsen or improve with the change of position. Over time, the postural trait of the headache, it may lessen or disappear. Okay. The headache is usually in the back of the head or the base of the skull, but can also occur in the front sides or all over. Well, okay. that isn't that useful know, for us. Exactly. It can be here, there, or everywhere. It is rarely on just one side of the head. It often is described as a pulling sensation from the head to the neck. I thought it was going to say it's rarely on one side, but can be on both. Yeah. Uh, but, and it's interesting because that's what my uh, lady said is that she felt like her head was being pulled into her neck. Interesting. Yeah. So the the severity of the headache, again, let's be, it's neurology, so yeah. let's be very specific. It can be <laughs> range from mild to very severe of a headache mm -hmm. and, and, and possibly be speed disabling. <laughs> of course, seizures, coma, death, right? Yeah. Other common symptoms include neck pain, neck stiffness, nausea, vomiting, sensitivity to light and or sound, sense of imbalance, ringing in the ears, changes in hearing. Patients may also experience visual changes, dizziness, vertigo, facial numbness, changes in taste. Pain between the shoulder blades into the upper arms is also commonly reported. Really signs that would suspect, that would make you suspect a migraine. And Monique is about to jump off her chair because you want to say something here. I can no, tell. not at all. Oh. I was just going to bug you because um, the writing is very small in here. I was wondering if you can make the writing bigger because I'm struggling with some of the words. Thank you very much. Now, the, the thing about it is oftentimes, you know, people come in with headaches and we do have to think about whether we need to CT them or not and think about dangerous reasons for somebody having a headache. So certainly we can kind of rule out or things that if somebody has a sudden onset of a headache, you know, you're kind of drawn to making sure this isn't a subarachnoid bleed. Uh, in these cases, though, because the headache is a little bit unusual, if they've never had a migraine before, and all of a sudden they're having a headache, it's a new onset headache, likely these patients will get a CT scan to rule out that there isn't some small uh, bleed in there. But, but frankly, it's not really useful for this. Not it? really, but they do do it to rule out other causes. But in this case, an MRI is definitely more diagnostic. And for all you geeks out there, the reason we do an MRI, the brain MRI actually shows a series of findings known as SEEPS, S-E-E-P-S, which in at least about 80% of the cases. And what SEEPS stands for is subdural fluid collection, enhancement of the meninges, engorgement of venous structures, pituitary swelling and sagging of the brain. Very interesting. Now, most of the treatment really is conservative treatment, as many patients will have symptom relief without any specific treatment. So bed rest, good hydration, increased caffeine, hallelujah for all those coffee lovers. And in fact, today, I probably made coffee that would stop us from heading, having a headache for the rest of our natural lives, I think. It was pretty thick. It kind of was coffee syrup. Syrup, it was a bit. But if these conservative treatments do not work, the most common treatment is an epidural blood patching. And it, in this procedure, some of the patient's own blood is injected into the spinal canal outside the dura. And epidural blood patching may be successful even when the leak location is unknown, and it can be actually repeated several times. Another type of patching involves injecting a fibrin, a fibrin glue at the specific location of the leak or tear. And those ones, you actually need it to be MRI uh, directed because you can't actually see the leak, right? Hmm. 
That's fascinating. I'm sure it is. I'm sure that everyone is asking, though, if there's <laughs> such a thing as intracranial hypotension. Mm-hmm. Is there such a thing as intracranial hypertension? Mm-hmm. I'm glad they asked. Because there is. Oh, wonderful. Idiopathic intracranial hypertension occurs in only about 1 out of 100,000 people. It's usually in women during their reproductive years. However, among young overweight women, it is 20 times more common. And the disorder recurs in about 10% of people. So what causes pressure within the skull to increase is completely unknown. However, certain people are more susceptible to it because of large veins that help because of the large veins called the venous sinuses that help drain blood from their brain are smaller than in most people. Mm-hmm. So in these people, blood drains from the brain more slowly, causing a backup of blood in the brain and or within the skull. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Right? The increased pressure does not result from other identifiable sources, such as tumors, infections, clots, or blockages. Those have different diagnoses. Yeah. Diagnosis names. Okay. Diagnoses. Di- yes. Named diagnoses. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> In most people, the development of idiopathic intracranial hypertension cannot be traced to any particular event. Mm -hmm. In children, this disorder sometimes develops after corticosteroids are stopped or after they've taken a large amount of vitamin A or tetracycline. Isn't that interesting? I think that's why we don't tend to or give kids tetracycline Mm -hmm. anymore. Um, But you do have to kind of worry about it when you have those children who are um, having acne and they used to... Treat them with tetracycline for bad acne. Patients will come to the ED complaining of daily headaches with fluctuating intensity, sometimes with nausea, blurred vision, uh, due to sixth cranial nerve dysfunction. Very good. They may also complain of pulsating noises within the head called pulsatile tinnitus. Mm. It's interesting because I'm reading both of these and thinking, I've had those. (laughs) So maybe you do have idiopathic injury. It's like anything when you start learning about it, you think, oh, I had that. I think I must have that. I think I must have that. Yeah. Increased pressure within the skull may cause the optic nerve to swell near the eyeball, which is a condition called papilledema. And you can't see him, but he has no papilledema. I'm just letting you know. (laughs) The first sign of vision problems is loss of peripheral vision. People may not notice this loss at first. As a result, people may bump into objects for no apparent reason. Late in the disorder, vision becomes blurred. People may quickly become blind. Mm. About 5% of people lose their vision partially or completely in one or both eyes. Once vision is lost, it usually does not return, and even if, oh sorry, it doesn't return even if the pressure around the brain is relieved. Wow. In some people, the disorder becomes chronic and progressively worse, increasing the risk of blindness. Diagnosing this type of headache also includes CT scan to rule out other causes. Mm-hmm. You have to go for the big guns yeah, first. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And plus or minus a lumbar puncture. And then MRI, which yeah. is going to tell us all the I think answers. whenever you have something that's a little bit more rare, I mean, you do want a good history, but you also have to rule out kind of bad things. The and that's things. why, yeah. yeah, we kind of do those things. Remember, so, one in 100,000 Exactly. People. So not a lot of people with this. Probably more likely to find a brain tumor. Than you would there. This. So you have to actually yeah. rule that out first, certainly. So the treatment usually resolves without kind of treatment, this idiopathic hypertension. Um, you might need to discuss with overweight people that they should probably lose weight. The disorder may resolve with as little as 10% of the body weight loss. Uh, Drugs known to trigger the disorder, such as tetracycline, if they're on it, should be stopped. 
I see I'm not going to be able to say that. Acetazolamide. Thank you very much. Acetazolamide is often Even prescribed. After I said it, I know I can say, say it. it. Yeah. Is often prescribed to help reduce the pressure. This drug can help reduce pressure within the skull in a couple of ways. As a diuretic, it helps the kidneys eliminate water in urine and thus reduce the amount of fluid in the body. It also reduces the amount of CSF fluid produced in the brain itself. The usefulness of doing spinal taps daily or weekly to remove CSF is debated. If the treatment is used, people are closely monitored to determine whether pressure is decreasing. Don't forget, by doing that, you could actually create a headache as well. And as someone who's had two LPs, there would never be a time I would volunteer to go have this done weekly. I'd just have the headache. I know. (laughs) Because peripheral vision is lost before people actually notice it, they should have regular eye exams. And if your vision deteriorates despite these measures, surgery to reduce pressure within the skull may be needed and may be able to save your vision. And so they have a couple of surgical procedures for your interest only, really, is something called an optic nerve sheath fenestration, where slits are cut in the covering of the optic nerve behind the eyeball. These slits allow CSF to escape into the tissues around the eye where the fluid is absorbed. I think we do that in emergency, right? No, stop it. And a shunt um, can be surgically placed so that access CSF can be removed. And the shunt is placed in the spaces within the brain or in the space just below the spinal cord in the lower brain and the tubing is run under the skin usually to the abdomen where excess fluid can drain and stenting as well so uh, wire mesh tube and a small venous uh, sinus to widen it to allow for drainage certainly if your MR uh, venogram detects a clot blocking a vein then they may actually need to do anticoagulants as well Hmm. so interesting yeah it's you know what it's so weird because even since doing this uh, and yet another young man uh, couple of weeks ago I saw as well with a low pressure headache and it was really interesting because he had never had a headache before treated him like a normal migraine but again he talked about every time he sat up it would get worse and then I had to move him he was feeling much better and I had to move him to another room to see neurology and while he stood up and walked to the other room his headache came back full blast so very interesting so it's kind of neat for you to kind of keep it in the back of your mind even the eMERGE physicians had not heard of it and because I had seen three um, in a matter luck of, of the draw yeah luck yes. of the draw um, it was great to kind of be able to say yes this is a low pressure headache nice to feel smart every once in a while hmm? mm-hmm. yeah anyway all right well there you go there's the lows and highs of headaches uh, usually comes down to a good history that's going to lead you to the right diagnosis excellent excellent bye see you later bye for past episodes and to comment on this episode please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember... Before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. www.prneducation.ca